when you have a sales process, you can disrupt your own sale by breaking cadence. And every salesperson has their own rhythm that they're going through. And some are slower and some are faster. It's the breaking of the cadence that the customer sees and they get impatient with when's the next shoe going to drop. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. Join us in each episode as we explore an industry that is always evolving with new products, new designs, practices, and technologies. From builders to remodelers to executives, as well as folks with outside perspectives, each episode of Construction Disruption meets with forward thinkers as well as others in the know um, to share their unique insights. Construction Disruption is created and sponsored by Isaiah Industries, a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, and our co-host is our sales manager, Seth Heckeman. Creative director, Ryan Bell, and content creator, Ethan Young, are are our behind-the-scenes production team today. Um, So, Seth, I got to tell you, I was kind of looking at some of our past recordings, and I noted two things. Um, One, I need to speak a little bit faster. And two, I need to elocute better. Um, Elocute, that's an old-fashioned word for speak pretty. I I think that's a word. I think it's a word. It sounds like a a Dave Yoho word. But anyway, I need to elocute better. So I'm going to work on that, and hopefully I don't get all tongue-tied or hyperventilate or just pass out. So I have to tell you, should I pass out? Just let the old man go. No mouth to mouth or anything. Okay, just just let me go, and it'll be fine. Anyway, um, so we are going to switch it up today. A lot of times, Seth and I kind of have a little bit of a witty banter or talk a little bit at the beginning about things going on in the industry. But today, I really want to jump in with our guest. Um, this is someone who Seth and I have both had the privilege of knowing and working with for many years, and. Out of that, I know for a fact that the conversation is going to be both interesting, thought-provoking, and informative. So today's guest is Frank Farmer, president of American Metal Roofs based in Flint, Michigan. In his 20 years with American Metal Roofs, Frank has been what I would call a disruptor extraordinaire in the home improvement industry in general, as well as in the residential roofing industry, especially in Michigan. And in recent years, he's also been working with other contractors across the country um, through another company he has started, Metal Roofing Consultants, and bringing his visionary approach to those other markets as well. Frank, um, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Seth. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Sounds good. So, of course, Frank, I know your personal story, and I actually love to tell your story, and and I tell it if you're not there, um, about how you came to be in the home improvement industry, um, as well as how you ended up, you know, with residential metal roofing in particular. And I love to tell the story about how your history has really impacted your path and your approach to business and to what you do. Um, but before we get started with a few questions, rather than me tell you a story, would you mind kind of sharing that story with our viewers and listeners? I sure would. Um, first, first and foremost, I, I grew up in a very rural area, grew up dirt poor, and um, figured out the way to escape that poverty was really through education and um, went on to be trained as a physician 
And while I was um, uh, finishing that up, realized I really didn't want to practice, that my vision of a physician was something totally different than what was evolving in the marketplace, and I didn't want to see a patient every seven and a half minutes to make a living. And um, so I didn't I didn't about face and. Uh, I started a, a small apartment locator service business, which was a business that was way ahead of its time, let's just say, for about three years. Uh, I looked good. I smelled good. But I was broke. <laughs> I, I had a secretary that made more money than, than myself. And I said, there's got to be a better way. I had a friend who introduced me to home improvement. Um, he uh, said, I think you would make a great salesperson. Uh, this was back in the in 1986. Um he showed me what his paycheck was. I remember the month it was October. He showed me what his paycheck was. And at that time, he had made $40,000, which was twice what I was going to make for the year. Uh, of course, that was a lot of years ago. And I thought, maybe they got room for one more good person. Um, you know, a caveat to everything I'm talking about is uh, to help me make that decision. Medicine was changing very dramatically with uh, with. Uh, the, the structure of it, let's just say. And I didn't meet any doctors that were happy. They were all complaining. Uh, lawsuits. It was just a, a, a very, very tough time in medicine. Then. So I made made that change. Um, I didn't think I could sell. I looked at salespeople as, uh, quite honestly, slimy. I thought sales was all used car, tell you what you want to hear type of thing. So I didn't um, wasn't intrigued with that. But uh, I did uh, learn to sell. I joined the home improvement industry and found out that I could I could do it with ethics and with my value system. Um, and my approach as a physician of, of analyzing things and uh, gave me a different approach to sales compared to most people. And I, I really, I listened to people. So I had great successes uh, my first year. Uh, by year two, I was training some salespeople. Year three, I was managing um, an office, actually two offices by then. Within a few years, I was running a series of offices, end up taking over a company, a uh, dozen offices, 60 salespeople, grew to $21 million for somebody else. Okay, And uh, left that in uh, made a decision to leave that at the end of 1999. Uh, and started American Metal Roofs, left a very lucrative position um, to strike out as an entrepreneur with myself, a part-time secretary, and I hired a uh, an installer and then a crew, and we began to grow to where we're at now. We've installed approximately getting close to $110 million in metal roofing here in Michigan, running it with most of the time with five salespeople covering the, covering the state. So quite different than where I started, where I'm, where I'm ending up. That's, that's an incredible story. And of course, when you and I had first met, I mean, there wasn't any metal roofing being sold residentially in Michigan at all. And, you know, I immediately recognized something special with you, but I'm still thinking, God bless him. I don't know if this is going to work. Um, but you quickly showed me again with your very different approach to things and the very professional approach to selling. Plus, what I would describe as you're just 
um, real fascination and, and purpose of looking at numbers and watching the numbers in your business. Um, I saw you doing things I had never seen another contractor do uh, before. And of course, I've learned from you a lot since then as well, but um, quickly showed me that, yeah, th this guy's going to make some things happen in Michigan. And uh, certainly you have, and it's been really cool to see that spreading across the country with your network of dealers you've developed. Thank you. So, you know, as your story tests, I mean, you've been in the industry, home improvement industry, a good number of years. I'm just kind of curious, during that time, um, what big picture things have you seen stay um, pretty consistent over those times? And what things have you seen really change? I think the consistent part from, I'm going to go back to 1986 when I broke into home improvement. The consistent part is that in order for a sale to be made, the customer needs to be in an emotional state of mind. The, the things that have changed have made that more difficult. Um, and you think about the major changes that have happened. Uh, the, the PC was invented in the, in the mid-90s, became 50% of the houses had PCs by 2001, 2000, somewhere around there. Um, by the time we got into 2005, Yet 70, 75% of the homes already had PCs in them that, that gave them um, an, an education, whether it was right or wrong. And, you know, there is a lot of misinformation out there. But also I've identified that the baby boomer population is a, is a, is a, is a wealthy population of, of individuals, and it has aged. And... As that, as that population is, has gotten to, I'm going to say, retirement age, I'm on the tail end of that uh, generation, um, they went from accumulating wealth to spending wealth. And there's a, there's a whole phenomenon that I don't think a lot of people really understand in what, what they're buying. But the last 10 years, really, and even the last five, the real disruptor in our industry – is um, I'm gonna call it fake TV. They call it reality TV, mm. <laughs> and it's these it's the variety of shows that are out there that kitchens are installed instantly and whole houses are remodeled in a week. Yes, and it doesn't cost any money. There's no budgets. There's no nothing, and that's what people think is is reality. Um, so you you have you have those three things. I want to speak to the computer because I think it was one of the biggest disruptors that we've had in our industry. And once people had that information, they felt in control. If we go prior to the PC computer, a company like mine would run an ad, maybe TV, maybe radio, print, all the major uh, things that you can do. And the consumer didn't have a lot of information. So they had to they had to dial up the company, and when they would dial up the company, the company controlled the information so we could always get a salesperson to the house. Today, what happens is you're sitting there watching TV. Actually, what you're doing is playing on your phone and and with background noise of TV and looking up to see it once in a while. At least that's the way it works at my house. And when that ad hits. If there's something I'm interested in, I I check out their website. So now I have the information. So I am I am making a credibility call 
based upon what I'm seeing and how fast that website loads. And many companies are, are oblivious to that. And so while I'm looking at metal roofing, all of a sudden Google says, oh, he's interested in metal roofing. And they serve up my, my competitors to them. So the, there's a comparison that's immediately done that's, that is so fast. And then these customers get to read all of the information that's out there on products and they, they think they have a, have a good knowledge and they don't. I'll say one thing about, I talked about the aging population. When we are in our 40s and 50s, uh, late 40s, kids leave the house, you get into 50s, you've got wealth accumulation, early 60s, maybe even a little bit of wealth accumulation. But there's, there's a defining moment in everybody's life that happens in that early 60s that we're faced with our own, with our own mortality. And it could be the death of a loved one. It might be a, an accident from slow reactions. There's usually something. It might be a fall off a ladder from cleaning some gutters. But all of a sudden, our, we realize we're fragile human beings. And all the dreams we had of maybe all this travel, that's what we think we're going to do in our 40s, buy a motor home, boy, and we're going to travel the world. And we accumulate this wealth. There's a shift that happens that we start spending that wealth on things that I'm just going to say don't make sense. They are luxury items. They are things that make our lives easier. Um, just, you know, I can't take it with me mentality. And we, we buy those type of things. So there's a, there's a huge, huge shift. But the constant is emotion. Everything else is disrupting that emotion that we used to build with customers. Yeah, hearing you recount the impact of you know the phone watching TV and that new flow of uh, lead cultivation and what that looks like, I was reminded of a conversation we had a few months ago when we were talking about rolling out a new product. And you were telling me about how not only are you having to account for the consumer on their couch seeing your ad and going to their phone, you have sales reps in the house who are getting real-time fact-checked at the kitchen table by the uh, homeowners pulling out their phone and checking whatever they're telling them in real time. Yeah, uh, which, it, it, yeah it, and such a, such a great point. And, and when, I, when I start training companies and start training uh, salespeople, they're oblivious uh, to that because they would never have a reason to think about it. But what happens today is – You've got a salesperson in front of you. They're uh, fact-checking. They're going to Facebook. They're looking at anything. They, they're putting the person's name in. They're Googling them. They're seeing anything that they possibly see. And salespeople um, are usually out there on the edge. They, they, they have a high D, high drive, high I, create a lot of emotion. And because of that emotion, they're used to throwing things on, on Facebook that is only going to haunt them. <laughs> they make some political comments. <laughs> Doesn't matter. In the sales world, all of that is discoverable by your customer and can can shut them off. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's real. It's real. So I know one one thing we wanted to ask you here, and I th think this is a good segue with this access to information and always being at the fingertips and homeowners going through that process now. Do you find, are we working with a more educated homeowner 
at this point or a uh, less educated homeowner or consumer? Um, or another way I think to, or another aspect of this question is, do you think this access to information is really helping consumers at this point? You know, that's, it's, it's a, it's a broad question, but it, it's not, it's not a tough one for me. Um, consumers, Consumers think what they want to think based upon everything that they have read, and they tend to search out things that uh, validate what they thought, what they already thought. They don't do real research. Okay, they 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 go the way they 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 they, they want to substantiate something and prove that they're right. Um, if they truly are looking for information, the amount of information that is out there that is correct is small because what they don't realize is that the websites aren't factual. They were designed by marketers to get leads. And so they're not going to speak to uh, any type of, of challenges. Um, so the homeowner, I'm going I'm to explain it this way to the listeners. Homeowners come with their preconceived ideas. We call that a box A mentality. And so if you can think about they have all these ideas and they, they believe them 100%. What we should not do as salespeople is disrupt those thoughts by telling them they're wrong. We should disrupt those thoughts by helping them with examination, with facts, so they change their mind. So in our sales process, box A is everything that a customer says and does and may not have any validity. Um, they'll make statements like, if, if this metal roof's going to cost more than $15,000, you can leave right now. Well, some people will start to justify why it costs 25000 or 30000 or whatever their number is. They don't realize they just shot themselves in the foot. And what they should say is, no problem. If that's what you want, we can handle anything that you want. There's a wide variety that's out there. Knowing that that's not where you're going to end up once they get more information. The consumer that's buying a metal roof doesn't think they have problems. The typical metal roof consumer is not a person that has tons of leaks everywhere and they're looking to do a quick repair. That's, it's too expensive. So they think they're ahead of the curve. So in a sales process, we can go into a home, do an examination that's extremely thorough from outside, inside the home, and then in an attic and help the customer uncover things they never even knew was going on. So immediately we set up emotion because they realize they're behind the eight ball. Then we start disrupting their box A after we get into presentation. And when we're in presentation, we give them choices and we show them the advantages, the disadvantages, what that type of product costs and let them say, now, that's not what I want anymore. I thought I wanted that um, pig barn metal on my house, but I don't want pig barn metal on my house. They, they just realized. They didn't have any reason to know anything different. So they changed their mind. The mistake salespeople make is we want to tell instead of educate. And it works much better if we wait until they're and, 
we call that moving them to box B. And until you move them to box B, you're never in a position to earn the right to close. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, what I wrote down was, yeah, you don't don't try to change their mind. You just provide education, help them examine, and, and bring new information to the table. So. Yes, and and it has to be done in a way that's not that's not boring. You know, Todd. Earlier, you asked me, you know, what's changed? Well, I tell you where I think we got to go big time, and that is infotainment mm-hmm. in presentation. People. People are instant. I mean, I find myself, you know, thumping my fingers on top of the microwave, just heating up a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, like 60 seconds is too long. What takes so darn long? Think about it. We don't want to wait for a pot of coffee to brew anymore. We want to use a Keurig and have it spit out in 30 seconds. Yeah. Because we value that minute and a half that we saved. It's, that's what, where everything's going. So, so that kind of touches on something you said earlier, which um, was relating to what I call the HGTV culture, this idea that folks see these shows and get these ideas and they think they can make these amazing things happen for under a thousand bucks and in 30 minutes. Um, how has that impacted home improvement contractors and how do you deal with that sort of mentality or, or HGTV culture? Yeah, um, we, we deal with it through a, deal with it through a structured presentation in that we we know the objections we know that thought process already of that customer so it's built into built into the presentation that they start to see that some of this stuff is just unrealistic in other words we don't tell them they discover that it's unrealistic they discover really what it takes for price when I'm when I'm done here today, I'm going to run an appointment. I'm going to rehash an appointment. We had a complaint come in on one of our representatives, okay? And the customer just going off on me. Um, matter of fact, he took 16 minutes in a phone call to our call center, and they put the call through to me. And you know, he was calling us everything from unethical um, cheats. Um, it was just going on and on. Uh, the guy gave me a price of eighty six thousand dollars on my roof. And after a couple of expletives, um, I mean, he was just going off. Now, I told him I would come out and visit him because I want to hear his complaints because he had some complaints about the rep. Sounds like he got got into into it with a rep also. And so I'm going to take the time to sit down with that customer and have a great conversation and hear him out. And when he's all done, we'll start going through a little bit of the presentation and help him understand some value. Now, he has already told me, if you think you're coming here to sell me something, you might as well stay home. That's a three-hour drive. But I have a good feeling I'm going to help him because he's full of emotion. And I know how to take that emotion and turn it right, right back around. Sure. Okay? So that customer, that's that HGTV customer that sees it, they – they start to see when you handle each facet that indeed um, some of what they had was unrealistic. But on the other hand, things that we take a look at and, and, and work towards are being able to present in the same fashion that this customer has grown to love. In other words, in, in by, when I start talking about infotainment, uh, why can't? 
there be things that, you know, you, you watch the, the remodel shows and cabinets come dropping down out of the sky and floors come up. And, you know, why can't that type of entertainment be done in roofing to help them understand their roof structure? And those are the kind of things that we say, if we can parallel what they love, give them the opportunity to change their mind on price, but we entertain along the way, that's where we need to go as an industry in the next five, 10 years. Good stuff. So if you think about um, someone that is entering the industry and looking out five, 10 years, um, that part of the presentation, more this infotainment type thing, you think is something they should be focusing on? I do. I think... If I was to give somebody advice that was looking at coming into into this industry, I would say first and foremost, find somebody that can that you that can be your mentor. So you don't have to recreate everything that's there. Second thing I would tell them is learn about human behavior and learn a little bit about human psychology and understand the, how that is woven into the sales process. When you understand how a decision is made, how people buy, that, you know, salespeople think people buy based upon logic because that's how the last person trained them. And they say, you know, make a friend and, you know, they go through the warm up stage. And, well, that's, that's, you still have to make a friend, but we don't take time to, 10 minutes to warm up anymore. It's in the process of asking questions. Everything has to have a purpose to move along uh, today. So I would tell that person coming into this business to understand why and how people buy, how logic, how logic kills a sale, and how emotion makes a sale. How to create that emotion. Good stuff. So, and I thought that was interesting based upon your response to the HDTV culture aspect. You're not afraid of it because ultimately, you know, you have someone really emotionally invested in this new image they have of their house that those TV shows and, you know, those hours in front of the TV has painted in their head. Yeah, they have this misconception about price, but you get excited because you have something there to work with. And then we just have a process of reeducation. Yes. Uh, Seth, you also have to realize that the customer isn't my enemy. I'm their consultant. And so the, the person I'm competing with that I'm battling with isn't the customer, never. The person I'm competing with is the other company that doesn't understand what I'm talking about. So they're not even cognizant of the fact of the HGTV culture or what's happening in infotainment. They're old school. They may not even use a structured presentation. So they, they're off wandering around in the ditch. They're so far away from where this customer's at. All I need to be is closer to them than the other people. Hmm. You know, like, like my friends laugh when we're out in the woods. They say, you know, Frank, I only have to run faster than you. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that's the same way in selling. I only need to be better than them. I don't need to be an expert yet. Need to be better than the other guys that are out there. More polished, more professional, more tools, more credibility, more trust, bigger sales. Kind of flipping gears here a little bit and still thinking about the future of home improvement industry. Um, I know that 
you've recently been involved in remodeling a home and and moving and everything. And my wife and I recently put a uh, structure brand motorized pergola on our house that I'm absolutely smitten by. I think it's a great product and and very unique. But I'm curious, are there any personal or, or from a personal standpoint, are there any products you're excited about right now that you're seeing coming into home improvements? You know, I, I I've been uh, been excited taking a look at the um, at the baths that are that are coming in, um, and and uh, and the transition that I'm seeing. We've had bath remodels for a long time, but part of where the home improvement industry needs to go is more DIY, and that starts to solve a lot of other problems. There's a lot of bath products that are coming on that the average or I'm gonna I'm just gonna say not as educated contractor can put in that are just stunning. The design is all done um, with those products. Um, For me personally, you know, I I mentioned earlier that we get into the spending phase of our life, and and I must have had that that defining moment in my life. Um, As I I think about the two big purchases that I've made, um, as as a young guy working in a general store, I learned to butcher. And so at our Haunton Lodge that I own, I've, I've always had a small butcher shop that I've never been happy with. It's always been a, um, a small facility that wasn't adequate for really what I wanted to do. So I just said, okay, I'm not going to live forever. Can't take it with me. So we're building a 30 by 40, you know, pole barn size uh, butcher shop. All state of the art. Um does it make any sense? No. Emotionally, it's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> Emotionally. Okay. Good stuff. I, I, I moved into a new house. Um, I put new concrete driveways into my uh, pole barn and didn't like that I didn't have a, the ability to turn. So we bought the lot next door and put a great big turn in into there. Again, does that make a lot of sense? And the point I'm trying to make to people is – when you're with that right customer, and if your customer is that person that is, you know, into the later part of their life, and which is a lot of metal roof customers, it's the emotion of it that gets it. There's nothing logical about spending the kind of money I'm spending on a butcher shop. There's nothing logical about pouring a 50-yard concrete driveway. But it's what we want. It's the emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It makes it easy. I can pull into my trailer. I don't have any inconvenience, and customers are looking for convenience. When your uh, vice president and good friend Dan Lane was on the way up to the lodge to to build the butcher shop and telling me everything that was going to go in it and what the plan was, I I asked him if it included a full service meat counter and you plan to feed the whole whole town of Rock. He he said that's that's the phase two. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> but we're gonna but we're going to we're gonna make a lot of smoked sausages and a lot of jerkies and things that people really like. I'm looking okay? forward to trying it. Fun. So, absolutely. Yes. That's good stuff. Well, it's a good point because I know that, you know, even Lisa and I, you know, there was a point when we were making that decision to buy the pergola, which was a pretty expensive item. Um, where we looked at each other and said, you know, we may not own this house a lot longer because again of our point in life. 
And but but you know we still did it and don't regret it for a second. I, I absolutely love it. It was something we wanted. It was a very emotional decision, but certainly have never regretted it. Are, are you hearing much about solar? Um, are, are is that a big thing in Michigan or any of your other dealers across the country? Um, the drum is definitely beating a lot louder mm-hmm. for solar. Michigan is behind the curve compared to everybody else, but it really is starting to starting to gain some momentum here in Michigan. And um, you know, it, uh, to deal with that, it's now built into the presentation, and we we help people understand that um, putting a metal roof on, if it's done right, right from the very beginning, it's it it doesn't cost any money to add solar later on. But not to put a product on that is what we call solar ready is going to cost you a lot of money disrupting your permanent roof that's already on. So, yeah. yes, it's it's put in there. You know, when we, we talk about products, um, you talk about solar coming in big here in Michigan, it's, it's, it's going to be big throughout the United States. And the new government incentives that will be put out there, um, making it much easier to get solar what I'm seeing is this with this aging population that if contractors will aim towards products that that help that aging customer right now, that is just a, an incredible sweet spot that is that is there in the market right now. In other words, think think about home building right now where you go into houses and you wonder why are they still building houses that don't have 42-inch doorways for wheelchairs? Why are we still building 32- and 36-inch doorways? Yeah. See, if we think about ahead, no matter what product you have, think about it, that that aging population that's that's out there. They want They want convenience. The other end of the products, as I mentioned, is the millennial generation, we're going to find out, is really going to go into doing it themselves. But because they didn't have the upbringing that I had, where my dad put a skill saw in your hand and a drill in your hand, they don't have that set of, that knowledge set. Right. So our DIY products need to be simpler and easier to get together with less tools. Metal roofs of the future have got to go on simpler. The industry is, has to come together. It has to have universal parts. And we will see, we will see this industry just explode when we can make it simpler. So we don't need as skilled of a person because everybody's talking, quote unquote, about a labor shortage, but I, that I buy into. Um, but it's it, it, it's reality. The we need better DIY products for the millennials, and if we focus on that aging population, you'll be very very successful. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point, and, and especially on making the DIY products and videos to go along with them. And we had a few things at our house lately that we bought and I put together. And I hadn't done that in a lot of years. Um, you know, I did it back when I was putting together a crib and that type of stuff twenty five years ago. But I was surprised. You know, things have come a long way in terms of the simplicity of those DIY build yes. products. Yeah. Our industry has not, though. Yeah, you're right. You're right. hasn't changed. Yeah. And, you know, there, there needs to be, you know, uh, more peel and sticks instead of adhesives that go on that have a, a backer to pull off for people. 
different type of flashings, things that seem intuitive, that don't require so much hand forming. Um, that is the roof of the future, and that is, you know, we've 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 got to go where this business is going, not where it's at today. We've got to really make things happen for where it's going to be 10 to 15 and 20 years if we're going to build uh, businesses that are going to be successful and lucrative. We had a uh, recent episode of Construction Disruption where we spoke with Rosemary Rossetti, who's a leading expert in universal design, and talked Mm -hmm. a lot about that aging in place thing and preparing our homes and why don't we just build them so we can live in them throughout our lives. So good stuff. So our, our listeners on the podcast didn't, didn't see this, but our viewers saw this a few seconds ago. Uh, Seth reached out and grabbed a moth that was flying midair in front of us. I felt like I was next to Mr. Miyagi. I'll get you a set of chopsticks or something. I don't know. Ninja fast reflexes. That was amazing. <laughs> I haven't seen you move that fast since someone brought snacks to the snack queue. <laughs> exactly. um, but... Uh, I was still listening, though, and I don't think we can just glaze past what an offhand comment Frank said about not buying into the skilled labor shortage, which has been yeah. a topic on other episodes. Tell, so, tell yeah, real quick, give us our give uh, give us your rundown and in perspective on that. Okay. Um, first of all, we need to disengage from the conversation of COVID, and. And we want to use COVID as the reason, you know, government's funding this and funding that. We don't have enough people to work. And, you know, I think we got to quit crying in our Wheaties and, and, and realize that the reason you don't have employees is you haven't built uh, an environment that, that that crew wants to come work for. Um, the, the day and age of my way and the highway, the, you know, the, the day and age of a guy 50 years old managing a 25-year-old a um, is really, really tough unless that 50-year-old that realizes he's a mentor, he's a coach, he needs to provide services and education for that younger person that makes them want to work in that environment. Flex schedules, one of the companies I'm working with right now, um, you know, said we're not, and this one happens to be in the medical field because we help a lot of companies in medical now. Um, and they have a huge, huge billing problem. And they have low quality people working as billers, which sets up this whole other phenomena. Uh, collection rates are low. Normally, uh, in this type of business, it's going to be around 62 to 65%, which a bill versus what comes in. And they're at 42%. So their solution was, well, we can't get enough done. Let's add some more bodies and of low, of low quality. And my approach when I first looked at their business was say, this is really backwards. This is really where all the problems at. This is the reason that you're running a $12 million business and you're, you're going to go out of business. And we, we went in a, and attacked that. And he, they gave me all the reasons when I sat and listened to him for about an hour, tell me all the problems in this department. And I understood they didn't understand they were still operating the way things operated five years ago. And I said, what if we created an environment that attract the best people? Well, what would that be? Well, in the medical field right now, you know, yesterday's nurses and uh, hospital people were our heroes, and now they're our goats because they won't get vaccinated. At least that's what's all over the headlines, right? And I said, that, that event right there saves, is going to save your company. 
because there's there's enough people out there that are very, very excellent that don't want to be told what to do, don't want to be vaccinated. Okay? So if you don't require a vaccination and the people can work from home or if you have to set them up as a as a uh, as a 10, 1099 employee with their own company, you have to think outside the box. The people are out there. So lo and behold, the problem solved one day. But it's a different mindset. And in, in, in our company, do we have periods that we need more people? Yes, we do. We're a seasonal business. We, use, we lose our laborers. We'll lose the low-end people. The good people, they love the culture. And it's easy to bring people back in to ramp up. I'm, I'm, I'm working with companies that tell me there's six-month backlog. They just have to live with it. And we show them they don't have to live with it. So create an environment that a person wants to come to work with. Give them the flexibility. Listen. Our generation isn't used to listening. We're tellers. We're my way or the highway guys. And when you change that culture, you'll thrive. So if there's always going to be a shortage of people, that's the way we approach it. We only want the best. So give them an environment that they want to work with and pay them what they're worth. But get good people. Get rid of the schmucks. Sure. Can uh, I know a few of the examples, but can you give a few quick examples of, of what uh, you all do there at AMR, building that culture and the uh, different aspects of that? I sure can. Um, f- first of all, we are... Um, <laughs> If, and, you, and you can go by department by department. For instance, in our in our call center, we know that the best people that are going to work in that call center that that want to get ahead in life um, and will take that abuse is generally going to be a twenty to thirty year old female that may have a child. Uh, May, may or may not be married. Many times they're not married with a child and they need good income, but they know that they have challenges with uh, babysitters, getting good care, okay? So we have a flex schedule for them where the majority of the time, three or four days a week, they're working at home. We can monitor all their productivity. It's all done digitally. We don't need to babysit them here. We can listen to a phone call anytime we want with our computerized system. So if uh, that has just stabilized that, that department. When I look at installers, we understand they don't know how to read a tape measure. They really don't. But we have a, we have a mentorship program where we'll take an 18-year-old. We just took an 18-year-old out of a, out of a, a, a Dairy Queen and, and he wanted to be something, but nobody believed in him, and we mentored him, and we trained him. We provide them. We have, we have programs that they can get half of their, their um, clothing covered. They can get, in the wintertime, they can get winter wear. We'll help with their tools. We'll, we'll, we have programs to help with all of that to succeed. And what we do is we develop that environment that, we, that they want to come to work. And they're competitive and they bring their friends and we're willing to invest in guys that quite honestly, other people wrote off as thugs. This kid's never going to amount to anything. You know, no, no, something. He needed somebody to believe in him and we believed in him. 
And we have story after story after story like that, you know, inside of our inside of our company. For sales, you know, they, they're able to attend meetings, you know, through Zoom. They don't have to drive three hours. Okay? Now that's a whole change in thinking to where this company started 20 years ago. But again, we're going where people need to be and want to be. Not how not how I was brought up in 1986. Okay. If you create a company that changes lives, people are going to want to come to you. Yes. Yes. And and we make everybody a promise too that they don't have to work next to a schmuck. If we're going to hire somebody here, when you when you work here, you know you're working with a bunch of special people because you're treated special also. And you're treated with an integrity. We we don't have the normal fighting that you see inside of companies. It just it, it just disappears. It really does when you build for the right reasons. Powerful. Thank you. Absolutely. Kind of going back, we were talking a little bit earlier about products and new products and things. Um, you know, and and I I think too. I think you know we hope, especially with metal roofing, other products. There's a real continued trend out there toward longer term products that, you know, require more investment, but they last longer and have all those things go with it. How is home improvement financing playing into things for your company? Are you doing more finance jobs or less, or how do you see that happening in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Todd, uh, fortunate for myself, you know, have been, been around, been in this industry since 86, um, that 35 years, you get to see cycles Mm -hmm. come and go. And I, and I would I would say that financing today is very similar to the financing that I seen in the late '80s, in that it was easy to get financing. It has it has grown very easy to get a loan. Um, we're we have proven that our customer base, our portfolio of customers, that it's a very good entity for a bank to have, and we've set up with credit unions that. We're, we're offering $100,000 unsecured loans at 5.9%, okay, with a 15-year term. So our customer doesn't necessarily need the financing. Some do. The majority do not. However, financing becomes a tool. And it's a tool, as a, if, if you think of it as a bridge loan, you may have the resources, you may have a net worth and everything that allows you, but there may be an event that's coming up um, that you can't access something. You may have some property for sale. You're getting into less of the accumulation of money. You're going to get into the spending phase, so you're starting to liquidate some things. That's going to free up some cash. Recent statistic, um, we just pushed for some changes in our financing, so they did a a very good analysis of our customers and they found out that the average loan was paying off in two years. Hmm. Wow. The, and most of them were 10 year, 10 year notes. Okay. The paying off in two years. So it shows you and it surprised them. And that's how we got them to move from 50,000 unsecured to a hundred thousand unsecured was by showing them that, by by allowing that to happen, these loans are paying off anyway, and you're making your money in the fees that you're charging up front for these for these loans. So we helped the bank get what they wanted, or the credit union get what they wanted, and we got what we wanted. Then after we got the hundred thousand unsecured, they tacked on another fifty thousand that they would agree 
um, at 7.99. So yes, financing is a lot easier. We think of it in different terms. It takes away the ability to close if you don't have financing to offer. Okay, so it's it's really a, a great closing tool. I know that one of the things I've seen influence financing in recent years has been tech and you know some of the approval processes and soft polls and things being sped up. Um, and we're seeing in general more and more tech creep into our industry from, you know, we saw it in measuring and estimating software, ordering, visualizing type things, lead generation. Are there any technologies that you can envision um, that you hope exists for the fu- in the future in our industry? One, one big one. And, and that is artificial intelligence. Mm. To, uh, and I'm talking about on a grand scale that the person is totally most Im- and, and loses themselves in visualizing their product because that would, that, would, that would give us the most emotion and move them towards uh, that purchase. So, you know, if that was on my wish list, you know, I, I, I wish I had a team of developers around me that we could make that happen. And then every home improvement company would knock the door down to come get that from us. Interesting. So artificial intelligence is, is really where I want to go. Things are, as you know, in our industry, visualization is very, very poor for roofs mm-hmm. and has been in the past, um, cumbersome. Um, people who are developing these products don't, uh, quite understand that the slightest amount of interruption in time um, or fumbling around by a sales rep, um, they get impatient and mentally are starting to drum their fingers on top of the microwave that right. we talked about earlier. They, they get very, very impatient when you when you lose cadence. And that's, that's what the customer needs to stay in line. And we teach that, that when you have a sales process, you can disrupt your own sale by breaking cadence. And every salesperson has their own rhythm that they're going through. And some are slower and some are faster. It's the breaking of the cadence that the customer sees and they get impatient with when's the next shoe going to drop. And they, so it's got to be seamless, but artificial intelligence, I'd, I'd love to have it. Good stuff. Tell me a little bit about lead generation. How has that changed over the years um, for American Metal Riffs and how do you see it continuing to evolve? Do you see AI even playing into that at some point? Yes, I do. I, and I don't know how. Right. Matter of fact, I was just talking just this morning um, with Zach, who's new in our company. And, you know, he brings new and fresh ideas. And uh, we had shelved some things here that we've, that we've got back in the forefront now. And artificial intelligence, I said, we don't know what we don't know. But I know if we put good people in the room and say, here's our business, how do we use your expertise to do what we do? In other words, our system is real simple. We dump cash into marketing. I want you to take that marketing. How can we use artificial intelligence? And I think that's how we move the dime. Not for us to try to figure out how to do it. For them, they already know it. And then you start brainstorming and they start throwing ideas out that you don't quite even grasp and understand the magnitude of until you have one of them holy crap moments <laughs> and you know you really have something, okay? Um, but you, you ask about marketing and I talked a little bit about it earlier where we spent, you know, I can remember my, my first couple of years here where you know, money was really hard to come by and to think we were going to spend 35000 on radio, it had to work. 
I'm not saying 35,000 isn't important anymore. But we make mistakes that are bigger than 35,000 today. Back then, we'd run radio, we'd do print, we'd do TV, and we bought just tons of remnants and stuff we could get great value on, especially like in print and AAA magazine and some things. Um, that marketing worked. It was always expensive. Uh, but, you know, in our type of business, we're trying to keep marketing at about a 10% cost. And uh, that those costs would run 12 15%. But with our uh, previous customers and other businesses, that low-hanging fruit that came in by people just saying we did metal roofs, we could keep our costs at 10%. But what has evolved is those those mediums have become less and less important. And it is... It's because of fragmentation. If you think about TV anymore, you know, we used to, when I was a kid, we had uh, three stations, and I can remember when we got a couple more and had five, and it was, like, really great. You know, now I have 300. Um, and if I don't like those, then I can get these other streaming things coming in. And how many sources are there really? And so this audience is really fragmented. Um, you take a look at what's happened with the newspapers. You know, they're just almost not there anymore, right? So that, that whole business, everything is, is, is changed. Um, and so we need to meet the customer where they're at, and we meet them with infotainment. We meet them, we meet them online. We meet them with banner ads. We meet them with digital. Um, you meet them by educating them in, in Facebook where you can constantly, constantly, very inexpensively, pound them and get them used to you and start building some brand, but mixed in with a phenomenal website. My second or third year in business, second year, I believe, um, I remember I took $5,000 of our marketing budget back then and said, I'm going to build a website. My partner thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> of course, that's 2001. Mm-hmm. Of course, you see what we do with the website today, sure. the volume of leads that we generate with it, and they think it was a great, you know, okay. We all made a good decision back then, you know. It went from me being stupid to we all made a good decision. Um, that's where people need need to be. They need to be investing in, in the digital world and understanding that, using some of these other sources to shore up. Uh, you know, specifically, you can go into TV and, and go to places like uh, WeTV, uh, or maybe it's me TV. It's one of the, they show Andy Griffith and all the old shows. Well, that's for that 70 year old customer. My wife last night, do you mind if I flip to Andy Griffith? Whatever you want to watch. That's great with me. Okay. And, uh, you can buy that stuff segmented right to that customer. A lot more reasonable than trying to buy a whole package of which 90% of it isn't your customer. Interesting. So, yeah, more opportunities for targeting. But I know you guys have really led the way, too, on the paper performance type of programs that these old mediums are understanding that they're going to they're gonna have to provide value for, for all these ad campaigns and, and spend. And yes. It's always, uh, Seth, a, a great point. And, and anybody that's trying to build a business, I think they should always take a, a portion of their marketing budget um, for looking for scraps. Um, getting com- getting radio stations to compete against each other. But everybody seems to be afraid to do that, that I talk to. And they say, well, how do you do that? Well, it's real simple. 
you, you, you announce to the world and to each media outlet out there that you've got marketing money to spend, and you're really looking to buy remnants and scraps. And whoever brings the best value package um, is who we're going to go with. <laughs> you just send it out. Some respond, some don't. You don't have to buy it. It comes back, and you take a look at it. And sometimes you'll be absolutely shocked. Uh, what our, one of our biggest buys ever with, with ABC Radio, and we, we, we did that maneuver, and we had, we had the vice president of ABC Radio walk into our, our showroom or into our conference room and said, we've never done this before, but we think we can move the needle here. And I remember we signed right there on that spot for that package for $167,000, and they said this would normally be $600,000, $700,000. And so we did tons of branding. It was very successful for us. wasn't as successful for them. So we, we didn't get another package. They, maybe they didn't have as much excess inventory that was there. But got to be ready to handle some. I would have never made a big purchase like that. But some of these magazines that are out there, you know, they're just – it goes to waste if they don't fill it. What are they going to do? Put a public service announcement in there? So, you know, offer them 10, 20 cents on the dollar. And tell them it's just one time to see if it works. Okay. It worked or it didn't work. Yeah, we'd do it again, but it only worked at that price. Run your numbers. Start you dictate what what rate card is going to be for some of these places. Hmm. That's how you create some value for yourself. And this is a big, uh, you know, would be a long rabbit hole to uh, go down in terms of how to make this work. But I know you guys have the CRM system to accompany those type of efforts where you can measure and track and the numbers that Todd referenced earlier that you've got to have that yes. data to go back and bring to the table too. Yes, you have to, and and they want to know that you're that you're tracking that, and you've got to show them. First of all, it's it's not about abusing them at all. It's about looking for a win-win, and if they're not going to get anything out of that other than a public service announcement, um, they'd rather get ten cents on the dollar or twenty sure. cents on the dollar. Okay, understand? They still need to pay the salesperson that's in front of you, so he's going to get a chunk of it, and they need to get something. So it has, it has to be a win-win. And every time you propose one of them is, is you just say, it's got to work for you and it's got to work for us. Here's our tracking methods. Here's how we can tell you it's working. We're willing to pay you based upon um, a, a, a small portion up front, and we're willing to pay you a bigger portion based on the sale. Okay? That gives them the ability to pay a salesperson, and then they can take a look at the sales. And if we're normally bringing sales in at 10%, we'll tell them we'll give you 7% of a sale. So ultimately, it becomes a saver for us. We reduce our costs, and we get a lots of coverage out there because I believe that you've got to educate people about your product and about your company and about your vision. And, and you get a media supplier who truly wants it to work for you because then it works for them. Yeah, they get an outlet, and they got some revenue versus no. And if they can sell that, they don't need to give it to you. Right, you're getting the wasted stuff. You know, it's a, you're getting the the stuff that would normally go in the garbage. So you've shared so much and and some great advice for folks. Anything other advice that you would give to maybe younger folks who are getting their start in home improvement or in our own field, metal roofing? Any any particular words of advice? I, I hit on that earlier. I think they 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 need to find a, a mentor. Yeah. 
they need to supply find a supplier that's a partner. You know, Todd, I have said so so often that uh, our two companies coming together in the support that you know, first of all, Classic gave us and then became Isaiah as you grew your company has just been so wonderful. Uh, and the support to, you to, give us also. Yeah, it's, it has to be a win-win. Right. And so when we get done with this journey, we helped each other. We made a better world. Yeah. And that's that's missing today. And if, if more companies would care about their vendor and really if you're with somebody and you don't have that type of relationship – you need to seek it out, you know. And if they're in the metal roofing business and they want to call me, I'll tell them who those who those vendors are that truly care about their success. You know, when things get rough, that aren't going to lie to them, who aren't going to say, "Hey, that's on the truck and it isn't on the truck," and they knew it wasn't on the truck. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, operating in integrity, I think, is so important. So I'd tell that new person, find that mentor, find that company, find that supplier, and then learn why people buy. Learn how that emotion's created. Going back a little bit to the culture at American Metal Riffs, and one of the things I want to give a shout out to you folks is your community involvement, your community support. I know that you have your Feeding Families program. Um, our company's recently teamed up on a Riffs of Love installation. How does that impact your team to know that there's a company that cares about others? <clears throat> um, when When we... When we interview people here and we tell them about our company, uh, most of them, I'm just going to say, you can tell by the by the expression on their face, they can't grasp what we're saying, and they may not even believe and think it's basically a, a sales pitch. Once they're inside and they start to get a feeling that this is different, this is the mission of this company is a little bit different, and then you know they find out that yes we have com- we've developed a program called Companies Feeding Families, and they realize that we're the driving uh, force be- between a-, a Christian outreach center uh, for food, and now another big project is coming where we purchased a building for them to be used for clothing, okay, um, four thousand square feet, so that. It, it serves the community, and they start to hear about some of this. And not that we, not that we brag about it, but the sense of pride that you have when people realize that they're at a place that really cares is is incredible. We don't have turnover here. We we truly don't. People want to be here, and not that we're not hard charging. We expect people to work. Okay, we do, but. They feel so appreciated, and they feel appreciated by being involved in those because I think at heart, everybody wants to give, but most people don't understand how to give. They don't know how to give of their resources. They don't understand how to give of their time. And so we really, as a company, become an example of how they should also consider giving personally back to the community. Good stuff. Well. We spent a lot of time. We're coming close to the end of our time here. Um, before we close out, I want to ask if you're willing to participate in our rapid fire questions. We need a sound effect for rapid fire. Okay, I don't know. We need rapid something. fire questions. Okay. So I'll explain sure. what, what this is. These are going to be seven questions. They can range from silly to serious. Um, all you have to do is give 
whatever quick answer you have. Um, and our audience needs to understand you don't have a clue what I'm going to ask you. So are you willing to do this? Sure. Let's go. <laughs> I knew you would. Okay. I'm always up for a game. Let's go. <laughs> Favorite meal? Um, prime rib with uh, roasted asparagus, a baked potato, and a great salad. Oh, my goodness. Now it's almost lunchtime. I don't know where I can get that here in Pickwa, Ohio. Um, bucket list vacation. I've taken most of them. <laughs> Good for you. I, I didn't I, – I, I haven't waited. I, I think that I would um, – I'd like to go to Australia, and uh, but I would like to go there for three or four weeks mm -hmm. and really see it and – uh, I don't know enough about Australia, but it's 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 always intrigued me. So if I say bucket list, that would be it. So what's been your one of your favorites that you have taken that was on the list before? Um, I, I you know what, where the humor is pointing here, so I'll tell you a funny story. I sold a business. I owned um, a twelve Jackson Hewitt offices, tech services. In between the, uh, I started when I was in the the window business, worked for somebody else, and when I sold that, um, I told my wife, I said, "We're going to go to we're going to go to Hawaii, or excuse me, not Hawaii, Alaska, and we're going to take my daughter." And so we we all picked out the room together, and you know that's where you get some creative advertising, and you get to see the rooms aren't quite as big as what you thought. <laughs> so um, that was before I had a CPAP, and I I snored quite a bit, and my daughter was really upset. And when I got up in the morning, she was sleeping on the floor in the in the bathroom. So I agreed to sleep on the balcony. Oh my. <laughs> in Alaska. <laughs> well, no, we're, we were we were going out of going out of uh, Washington, right? Seattle. And I put two chairs side by side, and, and you know what? I, first night, I thought this is great, man. This is wonderful. It's about sixty degrees out. Had a wool blanket on me. I said, "Life doesn't get any better." The waves, and it was it was gorgeous. The next night, he got down to around forty, <laughs> and that's when I realized I'd made the wrong commitment. <laughs> The third night, I had three army blankets on me. I had purchased a coat and some long insulated pants at one of the stops, and I just about froze my butt off. But I was not – of all the trips I've taken, you know, that's really memorable. I spent seven nights on a balcony, and – but it was it was it was a wonderful trip with my my wife and my daughters. We spent uh, quite a bit of time inland in uh, Alaska. Wonderful, good stuff. Rapid fire. Have you ever cut someone else's hair? Did I ever what? Cut <laughs> someone else's hair. Um, yes, I did, and it and I thought I, I thought I was going to do a great job, and I realized it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the experience most people have when they try that. Um, next question. Peanut butter goes best with jelly, lettuce, butter, pickles, or solo? Um, it, it goes, goes better with bananas. Bananas. Okay. I missed that one. Are you a morning person or an evening person? I am. Um, I, I absolutely love my mornings, but I fight to go to bed at night. Um, I, I work, I, I, I love the time I get in the morning coming into the office, uh, 6.30, nobody's here for a while. At home, I can read. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning sometimes, most of the time. Um, but I 
I want every minute that I can get, and I fight put myself to bed at night. Five hours seems to be a good amount of sleep. Last one. Favorite brand of footwear? Um, what's what's the tennis shoe with the B in it? Tennis shoe. Um, New Balance? New Balance. New Balance. Yes. yes. Okay. New Balance. I've got a wide foot, and they provide the most support. Good stuff. And I learned just last night, New Balance is a, an American manufactured shoe brand, like the only one. So wow. there you go. Didn't know that. Didn't realize American that. metal roofs, American yep. New Balance shoes. So. Well, is there anything else we haven't covered that you'd like to share with our listeners today that comes to mind? You know what? I think we've hit on we've hit on a lot of good topics. Yeah. Really have, and um, you know, Todd, it's really about sharing. And, and I, I pride myself in, in, in our company that no matter who comes to us, even competitors, I've had them call me that we help them. And I just, if I could share one thing, make other people's lives better. Good stuff. If you do that, the world comes to you. If you put the man together, the rest of the world comes together. It's when we don't have ourselves together, the rest of the world doesn't come together. That was uh, what one of my favorites. Zig Ziglar always taught that. Um, good stuff. Thank you. Well, um, tell us, why might someone want to connect with you at American Metal Roofs or Metal Roofing Consultants? And if they wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that, Frank? Okay. People... People come to us, unfortunately, people come to us when they're in trouble. Mm. And I wish they would come to us before then, but ultimately, they're coming here because of profitability challenges. And when people contact us and we work with them, the real focus is not necessarily on volume. It's to teach them systems, help them with a sales process, teach them to create value in their product that creates margin, that creates um, profit. It's important that uh, people contact us when they're feeling overwhelmed by their business. And our goal is to help them so the business doesn't own them, that they're working on their business instead of necessarily in their business, that they understand the systems of a business. Uh, Salespeople contact us when they're uh, doing okay, but they want to become really good. And they we have heard a podcast or heard something, and they'll say, you know, what can you do? I'm working with a, a guy down in Florida right now, and he's he's already doing good, but he just says, I want to I want to learn more. So, all kinds of people uh, come to us. Best way to get a hold of me is uh, you you can go to metalroofingconsultants.com, then go to americanmetalroofs.com. It can all they'll filter to me, or they can just call direct eight one zero. Nine six three zero zero two one eight one zero nine six three zero zero two one. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Frank. As always, it's a pleasure to visit with you, and I always learn so much. And uh, I know that our listeners and viewers are going to as well. So, thank you very much. I'm glad we had the time. glad we had the time today. And Seth, that was a great great move with that moth out there that you, that you had. I was wondering if you were like going into convulsions or what was happening. But, but you didn't uh, you didn't lose train of thought. You just kept rolling so that you're a pro. Um, there's worse things than that that happen when you're in the sales process or, or, or speaking, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Indeed there are. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of Construction Disruption with our guest, Frank Farmer of American Metal Riffs and Metal Riffing Consultants. So that was great. Um, I always enjoy talking to Frank and um, so insightful and such a 
refreshing approach um, to the home improvement industry compared to what we often run into. And, you know, one of the questions we talked to him about was, you know, what really has changed and yet what hasn't changed? I thought that was really interesting. And uh, maybe you could, what do you recall about that where he talked about the core that hasn't changed? Yeah, I, I loved that and his perspective on tying it both in, understanding what we need to consider is, you know, on the leading edge and changing, but what principles do we still need to keep in mind? Because especially on the sales process side, it feels like uh, in, in, the in-home selling realm uh, or just sales in general, we're constantly fighting this all or nothing in terms of old school, new, new school, in-person versus virtual, you know, one call versus uh, unlimited call closing. But it, uh, there are still some tried and true principles, and, but we have to understand how the, the industry and how the world is moving forward. So, you know, people are still going to buy based upon emotion. There's still, there's still a kind of trajectory of life that drives what, we value what we're most consumed with at any given point. Um, at my stage in life, I am uh, thinking about how do I save for college funds versus you and Lisa get to think about. Hey, college what, funds, <laughs> diapers. Yeah, right, diaper, everything. Uh, you and Lisa get to make the uh, purchases that don't quite make as much sense. And that's that's a huge blessing. And um, that's, She's always made decisions that make no sense on purchases, but I yeah. tended to be more rational. Yeah, about 35 years ago included. In t- yeah, that's true. <laughs> with that's you. true. Uh, so... You know, there's a trajectory of life, understanding where your consumer is. And, and that's really been helpful for Frank's, you know, time he spent with me over the years has given me some more broader perspective when I haven't lived it myself yet. Um, but that emotional aspect, people are still going to be, need to be emotionally engaged, invested and passionate about, you know, their problems, that they're tr- the problems they're trying to solve and whatever solution you're offering. And that's how we need to, um, you know, move them from that box A, quote unquote, to, to box B. But how we do that and what how consumers expect us to do that may look a little different than it did 30 years ago. Another thing I liked, uh, kind of sidebar with Frank, is he was talking about, you know, thinking five years ago. You know, five years ago, it was not this way. Five years ago, since over the last five years, it's changed. And uh, that was refreshing for me and, and a reminder for me that things are changing at a more rapid rate than thinking about 30 years ago. So um, that's a good reminder. But, you know, that infotainment aspect, what people are going to expect, bringing technology into the sales process and leveraging it to create more emotion, not change how decisions are made, but how do we leverage the new tools, tactics, uh, techniques that are at our disposal um, to, st- you know, in the context of uh, that emotional buying decision that we're walking consumers through. I always forget what that law is called, but it's about the speed of change. And man, I'll tell you, it is always increasing. And yeah, it, it feels like you're a newcomer to this industry. You probably still consider yourself that way, but the change you have seen in your 12 years um, mm-hmm. is really tremendous. Absolutely. Frank's always inspiring when he talks about, you know, how he and the rest of his leadership team are leading their organization overall. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, it, it shocked me, you know, and I, I knew that was his perspective, but even just hearing <laughs> him throw it out that he doesn't believe the skilled labor shortage is, you know, necessarily putting a ceiling on their success um, was, was so good with um, 
What did you think about that? Oh, I think that's what it boils down to. It's it's not a matter, and we've heard other folks here say that on construction disruption, it's not a matter of being stymied or held back by that shortage. I mean, the numbers are what they are, but still the point is if you're the company people want to work for, then you're not going to be fighting that problem. And uh, it was amazing when I was up to visit him uh, in his operation a few weeks ago, and he had 17 crew members out. His super crew was out on a job that we wanted to knock out in a day. It was the Roofs of Love installation. And it was just amazing to see these young guys um, how fired up they were, young in their careers, up there, you know, working hard, hard at it on the roof, which is a horrible place to work <laughs> and to be. And, um, just doing an amazing job for the company. And you know, I said, well, how long have these guys been with us? And he's like, well, that one's seven years. That's five years. Yeah, that's a new guy. He's two years. And, you know, they did have some truly new guys, but um, just incredible because they've created a culture that people want to be with. Yeah, it's true. There may not be enough people to go around, but ultimately there are people working and there's a reason they're working at your competitor versus your company. And, you know, how do we change that? Good stuff. Hey, that was great. I, I really enjoyed that one. And looking forward to the next episode, too. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have lots of other great guests on tap. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Until then, kind of echoing what Frank said, change the world for someone, make them smile, bring them encouragement, bring them hope. All of these are some of the most powerful things that we can do to change the world one interaction at a time. God bless. Take care. Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. Mm-hmm.